Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, coming to us live from Red Deer, where he's taking some time away from from being a big TV star to uh, to respond to all the fans that have been clamoring for him to come back on the PDO Cast. It's it's Jeff Merrick. Jeff, what's going on, man? Couple of things. Uh, all you did was pull me away from uh, the end of a dinner with all of our colleagues here at Sportsnet in Red Deer for the Memorial Cup, where they all are in meat comas yep. on the couch uh, watching Sidney Crosby. Um, uh, hoist a conference championship, and two, uh, I'm only too happy to be uh, to be back here on the PDO cast. And as for being a big TV superstar, I'm not so sure about that one. Well, I mean, I've seen you on TV, so I think that that counts. I do. You know what, though, I really get a reality check uh, when I come to a tournament like this yeah. and I hang out with someone like Colby Armstrong because Colby played with the Red Deer Rebels, and then when they won the Memorial Cup in 2001. Uh, when it was in Regina and trying to get out of the rink when you're walking with Colby is impossible. Like you can't, every two steps is another autograph is another picture is another catch up with an old rebel from the good old days who came down to the rink to watch the game tonight. That is a level of fame. Uh, that is, that's very unique. And, and I, I really like about, about junior hockey, the, the returning junior hockey superstar is a story that never really gets told, but it's a, it's a fascinating one when you, you see it. Well, I like the concept of the uh on I think it was on Friday night for the opening ceremony when he was down yep. with his team and and you guys had him mic'd up and you were you were trying to talk to him but it was just so noisy that he he was like yeah I can't really I couldn't hear what you said so yeah I'm just having a good time here with my boys here, and that was pretty here, much it. I'm so proud so, of Colby too and he's come so far in television. Did you notice what he did? So he couldn't hear me, right? So he would hear our producer give him a cue to start talking and it takes a long time for someone to be comfortable just talking on television, like, okay, I'm not taking any direction, so I'm just going to start freestyling. A lot of guys would either A, freeze, or B, just send it right back to, to the panel. But Colby starts freestyling, and he starts to do like a scene set, he's describing there, and he's naming off guys. I was like, I'm so proud of Colby. Like, all of a sudden, yeah. here's this, this guy that really wants his broadcasting career, he's working really hard at it, and it's one of those breakthrough moments where he just, you know, it's like, okay, I've got the ball, I can't hear what's going on, but... I'm just going to start talking now for two minutes because that's what's in the script. I was really happy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think that I think that that's really bang on because I've 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 said that about a couple former players where you can tell that there's like a little learning curve there because you can tell they have really great insight that they want to share from their playing days, but then sometimes it, it takes it takes some some reps to kind of perfect getting those thoughts out in a fluid manner, especially when it's on TV and it's in such a time constraint. So yeah, no, he's been a, he's been a, his transition's been really smooth. It's been really good. You know, he's such a charming guy for whatever for whatever reason. And maybe you can explain this to me, Dimitri. For whatever reason, I find that people from Saskatchewan have a like, like this natural charm. Like I don't know that I've. It, it's I can't even describe it. Saskatchewan is such a, a unique province in in Canada um, that people that come from there are really low maintenance, um, really personable. I remember talking to. Did you ever tell you the, the uh, my agent story about Saskatchewan? One agent that I was talking to at the uh, uh, Top Prospects game in Kelowna a few years ago, and I said, how come we never hear any problems with any of your players? Like, your players are, like, there's never, like, a whiff of a scandal. They're complaining. They're pouty. Like, none of it. What is it with, you know, what is it with your, uh, with your clients? He goes, well, my recruiting policy is simple. I call it the 2S solution. And I said, what's that? He goes, I, only, I try to really only recruit from two places where the people are all low-maintenance. Sweden and Saskatchewan. That's where I try to recruit from, um, and that's you know that's uh, that that's Colby man. He's got a real nice charm to, and the the key to all of it is trying to be able to find out who you are, and no, not find. I shouldn't say that. Try to as best you can replicate yourself on television. Like what I, what I find a lot of guys. We've had like I mean the last few years at sports, we've had a lot of guys wheel through. Uh, and sort of audition. And the one thing that I notice when a lot of guys start is they're not themselves. They put on a performance. You know, they think that they're fulfilling a role. Like, okay, I'm a third line guy. Now I'm doing this role. I'm a fourth line guy. I'm doing. This. And they take that to television. And so they think they need to act like everybody else that they see on TV and make those same TV points and make those same TV sounds. When really. I mean, when you have someone as personable as Colby Armstrong, you just wanted to be a Saskatchewan beauty. And you, I keep telling, like, whenever he'll, like, go into, like, TV guy, I'm like, Colby, you're being TV guy. I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want TV guy Colby. I want Colby Armstrong, right? What's the old starkest tuna line? People don't want tuna with great taste. They want tuna that tastes great. It's what you want, man. It's- well, I think also you don't necessarily want to, you know, I don't know if dumbing it down is the right way to put it, but like you, you need to explain yourself rather than just, you can't just be like, I, I played, so you just have to believe me because I'm saying this. Like you sort of need to actually kind of get your thoughts out there and explain why you're saying certain uh, things. And I, yeah. I feel like sometimes there's that. You're so right. I think because a lot of guys come to it. This is a really wide brush statement. Um, this is a pretty yes. wide brush tale. A lot of guys come to it thinking that their words will have gravity because they played. And they should be able to get a free pass on whatever they say because they played the game. And so whatever they say is, you know, I've come down the off, off the mountain with these these commandments about hockey. And damn it, I played the game. So they're going to have some gravity to them. Whereas, you know, I know you're a big fan of, uh, of MJ. And so am I. Like, I think Mike Johnson is fantastic because he is, A, the guy that played the game. B the guy that's still curious and see the guy that's really thoughtful with how he speaks and what he says. Yep. No, he's the best. He is. He's great. 
Yep. Um, okay, let's uh, let's let's get into the the Memorial Cup. We're uh, we're recording this on a Thursday evening, um, and tomorrow we're getting the. Uh, I guess how do, how do you describe this game? It's between the Red Bulls and the Huskies, and basically they're they're playing for the right to get smacked around by the London Knights. Is that, <laughs> is, that is that a fair way to put it? Well, I don't know if I were hyping this. Uh, I don't know that I'd, if I were a pitch fan for this one. I don't know that I exactly do it that way. We are trying to encourage people to watch the program right. for all. Um, but it's going to be tough to beat London. Like, I know, we were just laughing about this at dinner. It's like, okay, so the winner of tomorrow's game gets the right to get, you know, curb stomped by the London Knights. Um, you know, London's playing at a different level. Like, I made the joke yesterday on on, on Twitter, wow, we're, we're one day away from our dream Stanley Cup final, the San Jose Sharks against the, uh, against the London Knights. Like, they're, they're playing, like, at this level that's... It, the best way to describe it is maybe, you know when you have, like, a parent and kids game, and the kids are all, you know, like, running all over the ice trying to get the puck off the parents, and the parents are just kind of standing there passing the puck around, and the kids can't get the puck off of them? Yeah, that's kind of what London is doing. But this is what London is doing to league champions. Like, the beating they laid on the Brandon Weekings, like, 9-1. to one. Like, I've seen them toy with, you know, the Saginaw spirit before, but this is these are the Brandon Wheat Kings, like the top team in the Western Hockey League. And, you know, they treated them like they were, you know, like a, a, a peewee triple-A team. It's, it, it is remarkable. But there is a formula to beating the London Knights, and the Owen Sound attack in the opening round of the playoffs uh, were able to do it twice. In the regular season, they were able to do it twice as well. But it's a it's a dangerous formula because it could end up costing you because you need to really be in the face of the London Knights and you need to play them physically. But the, the key to that is if you step over the line and the Knights go on the power play, it's over. You've seen it. Like that Knights play is a power play. It, it's dynamic. And have you ever seen a junior hockey team play the short pass game better than this edition of the London Knights? Like when they start to squeeze in like a constrict, like those all those like – three, four, five foot pass that when they get like that really short game, it's, it's spectacular. And it's, and it's terrifying. Like if you're a team, you're like, and you're trying to kill a penalty with the London Knights, like I wouldn't chase anyone. I would just, you know, stand in the box uh, and hope that pucks go off me because I don't know. Yeah, what my do. uh, one of my good buddies described uh, the 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 Rebels Husky semi here as uh, as as playing for the right to be a historical footnote in the most uh, lopsided loss in in <laughs> Mem Cup final history. And and I, I, so I went I went and looked back, and the the most lopsided kind of finals that I can find are, and you'll probably remember this one is the 2010 uh, Spitfires over the Wheat Kings. They beat them nine one, and, yep. and and then I looked at that roster. Yep. It's like Hall, Henrique, Ellis, Fowler. They they acquired Cassian and Grubauer in net midseason, and it's like a, it's like an yeah. NHL team. So uh, it makes sense. Was was was, was Loktion, Loktionov on that team? I think. Yeah, I think probably. Dale Mitchell I mean, might have been on that team as well. Just unfair. That was stacked. Yeah. You know that was a stacked Windsor Spitfire squad, and that was you know that was I think that was the tournament that Brandon hosted, right? Uh, yeah. Because there was there was that uh, opening night where Travis Hamonic. Remember the opening play? Taylor Hall dumps the puck in Travis Hamonic's zone. Hamannick, uh, Hall goes in to give chase, and Hamannick hits him in the boards from behind, and I, I didn't think Taylor Hall was ever going to walk again. He just went like accordion style into the boards, and then popped back up, and like two shifts later, you know, put one between his own legs and scored a highlight real goal. Yeah, that was a remarkable tournament for the uh, for the Windsor Spitfires, but you're right. It, we don't usually see a good starching in the final. We may, like last year with overtime, Anthony Sorelli, uh, the Tampa Bay prospect, scores an OT as Joshua beats Kelowna. Uh, I don't know that we're going to get... Um, I, I I don't know that we're going to get a two to one final, regardless of whether it's the Huskies or whether it's uh, the Red Deer Rebels. 
Yeah, I mean, this Knights team is just like, you look at some of the names and a lot of these guys are going to wind up becoming household names in the NHL and it's it's remarkable. I mean, what Marner is doing is, is is this like, is this one of the greatest individual yep. performances you've ever yep. seen at this tournament? Yep, yep. And, and, yeah. and here's what's frightening about Mitch Marner. And actually, before we get to Mitch Marner, I want to I make one point too. This is how scary the London Knights are. Um, Cole Sherwood, who's a draft pick of the Columbus Blue Jackets, okay? He's been drafted into the NHL. He can't make the lineup. He can't get in there. Evan Bouchard is a defenseman. He's a 99. He's a gold medalist with the U-17s, an all-star at the U-17s. He can't make this lineup. Like, there are, like, such a high quality of athlete on this London Knights team. You have a U-17 gold medal winner and an NHL-drafted player that can't make it on the roster. They are healthy scratched every single night. It is stunning. But to the Marner point, you know, the, you know, the best way I, I ever heard Mitch Marner describe, Dimitri, was a scout friend of mine who, who scouted the, in the OHL for years, and he's a big uh, Mitch Marner guy. And I said, how would you describe Mitch Marner using, like, scout's language? And he said, here's how I see Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner doesn't make the right play. He makes the better play. Like, when he has the puck, you know, a scout will say, well, here's what he needs to do with it, keep it in this safe area and do that. And then he starts to do something different, and the scouts will go, oh, no, 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 he's messing up. And then I'll see, go, oh, oh, right, oh, yeah, that's, oh, okay, yeah, I didn't see that. That's what he was trying to do. So it's like a complete re-education on how to play the game. And we're seeing it night in and night out with Mitch Marner. And, you know, maybe the, I mean, that last game against uh, Ruan and Miranda Huskies was fascinating because what's the one thing that we always hear about Mitch Marner? What's the problem Dimitri Hill have playing in the NHL next year. Will he be able to handle the... Size. And physicality. Yeah. And if you look at how the Huskies went at him, like Timo is a big boy, San Jose first rounder, he went right mm-hmm. at like running him all night long. Uh, Philip Myers, the big six foot four defenseman for Rouen, who's a Philadelphia Flyers, signed with the Flyers after camp this year. Uh, he went at him all game long. You know what Mitch Marner did? He scored four points. Like, yeah. I, and I keep every time I look at Robbie Fabry, I say to myself, you know what? I'm just going to shut up about Mitch Marner not being strong enough because the NHL, the, the NHL is ready for these guys. So maybe I'm just going to shut my mouth about another hurdle that Mitch Marner is going to probably jump over. Well, yeah, to your point about the making the better play, just watching him, like the thing that sticks out is, is it's that all oh, like the highest level a guy can reach at this, at, it's where. He, it, the game is just going so slow compared to the pace he's processing it at that he's like, he's sort of just dancing around in the neutral zone and then he gets into the offensive zone and he's playing with the puck and he's, it, you feel like he could score at any moment, but he's just like waiting for, you know, different, more like tougher passing lanes to open up that he can make his teammates look yeah. good. And, and it really, it really kind of looks like he's sort of playing around, but it's, it's, it's really just like, it's art. It is. It's, uh, it's beautiful. It, it's gorgeous to watch. And I think. Think of the, uh, do you remember the Max Jones goal against the Huskies? So the puck goes down into the corner, all right? Uh, Chase Marchand, mm-hmm. the goaltender, can't play because it's in the no-touch zone. And Francis Prong kind of gives a, a, you know, a, a lazy back check-in to get the puck. Max Jones is first on the puck, and he feeds it out front to Mitch Marner, who's curling around the net. 99.99% of hockey players, amateur and pro, will take the shot, right? And they'll probably fire it in the goaltender's chest. They'll take that shot. Marner hangs on to it and draws Perron so he doesn't know what to do because he doesn't want to commit too far for the pass, but he also knows he has to try to protect in case he takes a shot. So Francis Perron ends up spinning. 
the goaltender, uh, Chase Marchand, bites. And what does Marner do? Slides it back over to Max Jones. Mm. I'm telling you, man, every single other player in the world takes that shot. Not Marner. He waits. Yeah. That extra tiny little split second and feeds it over to Max Jones. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, and, and then obviously you have guys like Kachuk and, and Dvorak and, and Ulevi and, and my boy Cliff Poo. Isn't he the best? Uh, with, the, he's had, with, the, with the handshake. Yeah. Uh, well, you, that, you, mean, you, you made him famous on Vine. It's funny because I know him because he works out at the gym that I work out at. So I see him every now and then and I talk to him every now and again. And I'm like, yeah, you know, my buddy Dimitri made you famous for the handshake. He was the first to Vine it. And it went all over. He's like, oh, man, tell your boy Dimitri. I said, thanks. That was, a, that was a real good. But you know what? He's another one. That um, you know, in that in that game against was it, yeah, it was the Huskies game, which was like the parade of the penalty box. The game took like three hours. It was like an old school NHL game. Uh, Cliffy got on on the ice tons because he's an excellent penalty killer. And you know, a lot of the scouts <laughs> was talking to a Winnipeg scout after that game, and he was like, "Holy smokes, man! That's like the I haven't had a lot of viewings of Cliff Poo, but man, this guy is a hell of a yep. player. I don't know if he's gonna." You know, be offensive uh, at the high end, but as far as being like a solid NHLer who can kill penalties and can do a lot of things for you, and is versatile and is a good skater, I think Cliff Poo is turning a lot of heads. Like when you look at the team, like no one's going to accuse Mitch Marner of being speedy. No one's going to accuse Kachuk of being speedy or or Dvorak. You know, Cliff Poo is probably the best skater on that London Knights team. Like that that. That top line moves the puck quicker and thinks at a higher level than anybody else in the tournament. But as far as just flat-out speed, Cliff Poo's got to be the quickest guy on the team. Maybe Victor Mete, the uh, uh, the defenseman, though. But as far as forwards go, Cliff Poo's it. He's straight. Well, and and that jersey, I mean, if he actually makes an NHL, that, that jersey with, with Poo on the back is going to be flying off oh, the man, And you know the chance, right? I mean, it's going to be fantastic. Now, here's a question for you. Both Todd and Colby, Todd Warner and Colby Armstrong, thinks that he wear they think that he wears his pants too low. <laughs> I'm like, guys, it's the style. It's what he wants. All those pants are too low. Just gotta pull those pants up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, that seems like an old, that seems like an old person thing to be complaining about. <laughs> you got the hip hop hockey pants, man. It's yeah, cool. I think it's fine. Um, all right, yo, I thought I thought we'd uh, transition here a little bit because last time I had you on the show, we we discussed some sort of abstract, big picture ideas about the draft and line changes and changes to the game we'd like to make, and people seem to like that a lot. So I thought okay. I thought uh, I'd run some some things I've been kicking around lately in my head and and see what you think about them. And and one of them one of them is related to to junior, and I, I wanted to talk to you about Sean Day because. It it, it kind of sucks for the guy, right? Like he's on this list with McDavid, Tavares, and Ekblad, which is cool. Except he's he's the sort of uh, one of these things is not like the other, and and yep. uh, and I, I haven't I've been looking at all these mock drafts and all these top hundred lists, and I haven't seen his name anywhere. Like, is yep. he is he even gonna get drafted in this in this class? Ooh, he'll be drafted. Mm. Someone will. Like you have when you have this the skill that Sean Day has, like you get drafted. There, there's no way. Like I. It's funny because I just talked to one scout a couple of weeks ago about Sean Day, and I said, where do you have Sean Day on your list? And he said, I don't. Hmm. I said, you're not submitting Sean Day on your list? He said, you know, someone may get fired for putting Sean Day's name on a list, and it's not going to be me. Like that, that's how polarizing this guy is. I mean, when he puts it all together, it's spectacular. You know, he's got the size. Could he be, could he be a, you know, a few pounds lighter? Yeah, probably. But the guy can skate like the wind. Like, all, like he has a lot of the skills that translate to the NHL like that, like like next year. But the question about Sean Day is, can he think the game at the same level that he can play it? Like his skills are at a certain level 
but his processing of the game hasn't caught up to his skills. You used to always say, oh, yeah, wait till, you know, wait till this guy's hands catch up with his feet. He's really going to be an excellent hockey player. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are saying, is Sean Day's processing of the game ever going to get up to the skill level that his, that his feet and his hands possess? And right. if so, then all of a sudden, you know, you have the best defenseman in the OHL. Well, it seems like a, it seems like a no-brainer sort of roll of the dice to take, especially since when you look down the draft, it's like especially totally. the, like the fifth, sixth round. Totally. It's like these guys totally. have zero point zero percent chance of making the NHL. Some of these guys that are just taken sort of as That's right. it, it, it seems like a no-brainer. But okay, so the question that I had about it was, and I understand that it's a tricky situation because you you could have kind of. Um, uh, I don't know how to even put it. You, you'd have situations where guys would manipulate this rule and see if a, you know if they're a top pick and they see a team that's probably going to take them. They they don't want to go to that city. They would just kind of pull this card. But I was wondering, like, wouldn't wouldn't it behoove a guy like Sean Day if he could theoretically remove his name from this draft, go back to the OHL next year, and try and sort of rejuvenate some of that stock? Like, let's say he believes in himself that he can put it all together next year and potentially become even like a second round pick or something like that. Wouldn't it make way more sense to him as opposed to getting drafted as a fourth, fifth, sixth rounder and then sort Mm. of being just crap out of luck? Like, I understand if you give players this option, you're going to have those situations where a guy's like, oh, I don't want this team drafting me. I'm just going to, you know, go back to wherever I was playing last year and, and get another kick of the can next year. But yeah. I think uh, it, it's just interesting, right? Because like in other sports, these guys declare themselves eligible for the draft. And yep. I I don't know. It's it's never going to happen because you're never going to... The, the owners are never going to relinquish this kind of power to the players. But it's... I was just thinking about it, how no one ever really discusses that. Well, you can do it. I mean, you can just not sign... I mean, the CHL specifically, you can just not sign your contract. You send this with... With with mm. Dylan, but uh, but you have two but years, yeah, two years, two years right? of your, yeah. So like we see like Dylan Sadowy now. I, I think the deal with Detroit is going to get done, um, and you mm. know Dylan Sadowy is going to be like. I mean, he's got a really good shot. The skating could probably use some work. I, I love him as like a third line left winger. Um, you know, he's a, a really talented player. Um, you know, Connor Bleakley, who plays with the Red Deer Rebels, you know, drafted by the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Patrick Waugh made no bones yeah. very publicly about being displeased with the pick to the point where he fired the scout that made it um, and has, yeah. you know, subsequently been, been shuttled off to Arizona. Now, if they don't sign him, he goes back in the draft as well. So you can, I mean, there are plenty of guys that have gone back in the draft. Uh, Jake Muzzin, yeah. who we all love, right? I mean, there's, there's another guy. You know, who got uh, right. got drafted, got injured, and didn't end up getting signed, and then ended up, you know, not getting drafted again, but but signing with the Los Angeles Kings. Um, well, who's the most notable guy that's done that? Is it like a Jack Johnson type or something like that? Who's gone back into the draft? Yeah, yeah. Uh, who went back into the draft? Uh, Jared Stoll uh, went back in the draft. That's a uh, that's a pretty high name. Uh, Jake Muzzin is probably the the more the most relevant one right now, uh, but it's rare. I mean, guys want to you know they just want to you know get drafted and, and sign their entry level deal and, and get on the clock as quick as possible. I mean, it's it's the race it's the race to get out of your entry level. And it's the race to get to, to unrestricted free agency. I should say before we get all the tweets coming in, I, I realized Jack Johnson didn't go back into the draft. His rights were just traded before he ever played for the for the Hurricanes. I and that was, and that was. And that was interesting too. I mean, that was that was the um, the vengeance of Jim Rutherford. Mm-hmm. That was angry Jim Rutherford because Jack was playing at the University of Michigan, yeah. and the Carolina Hurricanes wanted him to come out uh, to join them and for their Stanley Cup run. And Jack said, "No, I'm staying here with Red Berenson and the University of Michigan." 
And as I'm told, Jim Rutherford was none none too pleased about that decision <laughs> by the player. And uh, the next thing you know, he finds himself in the in the hands in the in the in the loving arms of Dean Lombardi and the Los Angeles Kings. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, second one that I thought of. Uh, it is. Hang on. Let me let me finish that though, because yeah. that is it is it is an interesting idea. The idea of you know having to declare. You know whether you're going to opt in or opt out. Right. The, the one idea that um, I can't remember who it was. It might be Dale DeGray and Owen Sound. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure who. It is, but there is a general manager in the Ontario League. If I want to bring it back to Junior, who has an idea uh, that he he would like to push through, which I can't see happening. But um, for something like the OHL draft, or as they call it, the OHL priority selection, you essentially do two drafts. One for players who say they'll come to the OHL and one for players who say they won't. Um, because, you know, it's always, you know, the big name teams like, you know, the London Knights and New Windsor Spitfires and New Kitchener Rangers that end up, you know, they're really aggressively recruiting and they get players who say that they're, you know, committed elsewhere to a college and not going the OHL route. They end up playing, you know, more so with the London Knights than they end up playing uh, with a smaller market team like the Owen Sound Attack. You look at Mitch Marner. Like Mitch Marner had a verbal to go to Michigan, and that's why he went so low in his OHL draft year, and he fell in the laps of the London Knights. And it's worked out well. Lo and behold, Mitch Marner became uh, as another add to the list of, of guys that become London Knights. And so it, that that is an, the idea of, of 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 having not one draft but two drafts at the junior level: one for players who say they're coming, and one for players that declare that they're opting out. Hmm, I like that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so the second thing that I was discussing was everyone, we, we had this discussion, it seems like all year of ways to increase scoring and uh, the topic of power plays obviously comes up because scoring rates increase. Yep. And and I've heard the idea tossed around that, you know, if, if you really want to go an extreme route, let's say you take a, a two minute minor and the other team scores a goal 30 seconds in, they just get they get the full two minutes to stay on the power play, regardless of how many times they score or not, which is, which is interesting. But I, I thought of another one, which I haven't really heard discussed as much. Let's and do it. let's say, let's say you, it goes to four on four. You have two coincidental minors or something like that. Yeah. And one of the teams scores. All of a sudden, the other team gets to go on a five on four. Basically, like they, it counts as if they scored on a power play and the other player comes out of the box and it just, and, but the, the other guy stays in and it remains a, a power play for the other team to just kind of try and increase scoring, I guess. It'll juice scoring. It'll, it'll yeah. definitely juice scoring. The, the only, if we want to make this sort of a philosophical discussion, I think the first mm-hmm. question we need to answer ourselves, if we're going to go the power play route to juicing scoring, is I think we have to ask ourselves, of a 60-minute game, how much of it do you want to be special teams? Do you want 14 minutes of it to be special teams? Do you want 18 minutes, 22 minutes? Do you want half the game to be special teams? Like We all talk about, oh, this isn't hot with a lot of traditionalists, you know, whenever you make a rule change, oh, this isn't hockey anymore. And that, that is always sort of a, it's a, it's a shifting target anyhow. It's silly to even entertain the idea. But I think we do have to ask ourselves, what is hockey? And if you have, you know, just, you know, if, if you have coaches saying, you know, let's just play 50-50 on the five-on-five and then take our chances on the power play, is that really what, yeah. quote-unquote, hockey is? And I know hockey's like art. It's whatever you say it is, right? You know, I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. It's like, yeah, it's, I can't describe it, but I know it when I hear it. I can't tell you what it is, but I know it when I hear it. I think it's not the, maybe the, the first question we need to ask ourselves. How much of the game do you want to be power plays? 
and then we go from there. Yeah, no, I think, I think, I think you're right. And, and I should say like, I, I'm just posing this as a kind of an interesting thought process as opposed to actually thinking we need to boost the number of uh, special teams minutes spent over the course of a 60 minute game because while it would increase scoring, like it's so you don't want that kind of stop and start choppy nature where you're consistently uh, messing with things like the best games are the ones where they're free flowing with very few whistles and you're trading chances and going back and forth and, and guys are getting to show off their skills. So I, I just purely, you know, if you really want to increase goals, but I don't think that would really solve. It would be like a sort of um, missing the forest for the tree situation where you're going to boost. You'd have more four three games, I guess, but it's not going to be that much more kind of aesthetically pleasing to watch. No, it's true. Uh, let's go the aesthetics route as well. Are you willing to snuggle up with me on this one then, mm. Dimitri? Give it a shot. Let's get, rid of, yeah. let's get rid of the blue lines, buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of let's course. just get rid of offsides. Yeah. Like, why are we so in love? Why, I mean, outside of holding on to the historical significance of the offside, which was really just a byproduct of the forward pass. Um, what's the point? Yeah, I can't think of one, honestly. What's, what's, what, what, what's the point? Like, really, what is the, Like, I always look to, to find way, you know, I, I'm always curious to look at elements of the game that are frustrating to hockey fans and try to figure out a way to alleviate them. And I think with something like the offside, the simplest way to alleviate the frustration that revolves around him and all the anxiety we have now about did his skate leave the ice and did he drag the toe and is you know are both blades behind the blade are they over the blade can we see white ice between the skate blade and where's the puck when they're doing the zone entry isn't the best way to remove all that anxiety just get rid of the blue lines in general yeah, I think I was. I had MJ on recently, and we were discussing this. And it's gotten to the point where any time a goal is scored, I'm I'm sort of waiting for that other shoe to drop. I'm just like waiting to see. Oh, there goes a coach challenging this play. Like I, you can't really get too invested in any outcome just because you there's such a high probability that it's probably going to wind up coming back, and you're just going to have wasted time and energy getting excited about it. Like it, it it's gotten so silly in these playoffs. And I understand that you want to get the call right, and you mm. don't want one of these. You don't want one of these blown plays deciding a playoff series. But it's 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 gotten comical at this point. It's gotten comical. Uh, I think philosophically, if you take it to the next to the next level of you know, oh, you don't want to lose a championship based on a puck that that was really offside. Well, are we going to start putting cameras at center ice for dump-ins as well to make sure the puck isn't behind center? Because oh, what if that what if that dump-in was really icing? I do, I do think about that because it seems like a very inexact science, right? Where there's so oh, many times dude, you're just like, was that did the guy really it, get there? Uh, like, is uh, it like a, they, they give they give a little, sometimes they give like the guy the follow through even though he was like three strides behind yep. the line, and then sometimes yep. they don't. Yep. Oh. Total. I'm with you 100%, bud. I know. I always look at those. And I'm, listen, I'm fine with it. I'm like, you know, second base slide. Like, yeah, you're close enough. Right? I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I don't need to have a black and white game. I like a lot of, I like, I mean, I like my, I like my hockey a little bit sloppy. And I don't want to measure it by the millimeter and by, and, and, and by the centimeter. Let me throw this one out. Did we talk about my face off idea? Which is really not my face off idea, it's original face off idea. What is it? What's more annoying than watching you know, a linesman try to get the sticks in the right formation for a face-off and only to see guys get kicked out? Mm-hmm. It just wastes time, and no one, like, no one likes it. Uh, yeah. My solution to this one is, and I know we all like the drop, and I guess it's a skill, and players dig it, and maybe fans dig it, but I mean, we spend so much mm-hmm. time lining up sticks, and so much, so much of a headache. Um, would you be interested in going back and reapplying the original face-off rule to the NHL. 
The original face-off rule was this. The two players lined up at the dot and they put their sticks in position. The puck is already on the ice. There's no drop. You blow a whistle and you play the puck. That way, there's no cheating. You're not looking at the puck. You're not you know, cheating on it. The sticks have to start in the right position. And if they're not, then it's either a penalty or you're kicked out. But those sticks start there because the puck is already on the ice. So you're not anticipating a drop, which is getting players kicked out. And then it says, oh, just drop the puck, just drop the puck. How about just starting with the puck on the ice? Yeah. Then you blow a whistle. Yeah. I could, I've could. i never really... This is why we have you on the show, to iron out, iron out <laughs> stuff like this and really draw my attention to problems that I never considered problems before. Now you're just complicating the game for me, Jeff. I'm, you know what? I spend a lot of time thinking about stuff like this. My wife's always saying to me, like, what important life things uh, has bled out of your brain now to make room for stupid things like how to fix the face-offs in hockey. Yeah, yeah. probably probably a lot. But yeah. here's my life. This is your life. Yeah, these are the important life things for you. Here's, here's my yeah. life, man. Uh, you got any other uh, ideas along this vein, or should we move on? Uh, the, yeah, the blue line's a big one for me. I'm, I'm a big fan of going to you know, you know, roller hockey international style. I mean, we all have, I'm, I'm with you, Dimitri. I mean, up and down the ice, well, back and forth. That's, I do want to make this point about the offsides because like, it seems like the biggest counterpoint is, oh, teams are going to start cherry-picking a lot and it's going to ruin the game. And, and I... And, no, it's not. And, well, no. I don't. I don't even think it's going to be as extreme as 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 you think it is. Like maybe at the start, but then eventually. I mean, hockey's such a conservative game. You're never going to see these teams leave themselves prone to scoring chances against just to try to create offense. Like it's going to stay the same. I don't think there's going to be this uh, unconscionable abuse of power all of a sudden by the teams and players. Like I think it's it's not going to change that much for the worse, and it's going to be significantly better. Why do we have a problem with cherry picking or goal sucking, as it's it's called in some quarters? Oh, listen, it's like, not the game it, we grow we we grew up to to love, and and, and what we know is it's it's the it's, whole thing you were just saying earlier. It, it's not the game that we were told we're supposed to enjoy. Yes. Like, what is what's more exciting than you know a long like you know that John Quinville goal that we saw uh, in the Memorial Cup, Brandon? Right, it goes through between his legs. You see that pass from Provorov from behind his yeah. net to the far blue line. Mm-hmm. Is John Quenville cherry picking? Yeah, what happened? It turned into the goal of the year. Yeah. Did anyone look at John Quenville and go, oh, look at that goal suck. Oh, he's hanging out by the blue line. Well, I mean, you're taking a risk, first of all, right? So, and Or you're trying to draw a, uh, uh, an attacking player towards you. So it is actually a strategic move. Why is there such a negative connotation around quote-unquote cherry pick why do we use cherry picking as a pejorative as opposed to it's just another hockey tactic because i got no problem with it yeah no I, I have no problem with it either i don't know it just has this weird connotation about i don't know if it's like people just view it as, as cheating or something we're trying to yeah. you know take you're the not shortcut the yeah. right way yeah. you're not playing the right way you need to earn the puck out of the zone it needs to be a collaborative effort well i don't know go get open you know make yourself available for a big long outlet pass a, pretty smart to me, and two, from a fan's point of view, how exciting are watching those long bomb tape-to-tape passes that spring guys on breakaways. And I, I hate to break it to the, the people arguing this stuff, but just based on the way some teams fill out their uh, defense groups, there's not that many defensemen in the NHL that can consistently make those long outlet passes. Just based on, uh, trust me, I've been watching these playoffs, tracking all this stuff, and uh, there's a lot of guys that struggle with with menial kind of medium distance passes. I don't think they're we're all of a sudden just going to keep seeing these wild hail mary plays consistently. Like it's it's not as big of a deal as people think. That's what makes Provorov so fascinating. I can't wait to see him in the NHL to see if he can do that. Who, who's who's the best at it from your research? Because Hedman. from my observation, I was I was going to say Victor Hedman. 
yeah. is is the guy who who consistently can pick these things up. And and wasn't that part of the demise of Bob Hartley in Calgary? Is that yeah. he was married to that play, even when it became obvious that that play wasn't the smartest for the Calgary Flames. Well, the weird thing with with him doing that, it's like the best skill a coach can have is adapting to the players he has rather than trying to enforce his particular strategy, right? You got to work with what you've got. And I always thought that easily, if you look at that roster, the best things the Flames had last year was their defensemen. So it seemed weird that you'd want to take the puck off of their stick. Like if, if anything, I would have had guys like Brody and Giordano and, and, and Hamilton trying to create that offense themselves and, and getting the puck out of the zone, carrying it out and trying to get into the neutral zone and into the offensive zone and then operating from there rather than kind of getting it off their stick and, and letting the, the forwards operate. So I always thought that was a, a weird game plan he had. And I'm not surprised to see that it didn't wind up working out for I'm him. I'm surprised that there aren't more, you know, outstanding long bomb passers. And maybe that's just going to become more of a by a byproduct because it becomes more of a tactic yep. in, in the NHL. Like it's to me, it, it completely makes sense, right? Well, the thing with Hedman is watching all these other guys. I've gotten so jaded, just expecting that it's going to be an icing or someone's going to break it up or it's going to hop over a stick. That when Hedman flings some of these passes, I'm fully expecting it not to work out, and then next thing you know, it's just tape to tape to his uh, to his forward stick, and it's remarkable how consistently he's able to make that pass. Okay, let's uh, okay then let's get back into the uh, hockey philosophy mm-hmm. 101 uh, undergrad program here. When we're talking about long bomb yeah. passes, uh, the tape to tape ones that we all love, good, hard along the ice, boom, it hit, there's that crack when it hits yep. the blade. You know, it's one of the great hockey sounds. Crossbar is always the best hockey sound, but the crack of a blade uh, when, the, when, the, when the puck hits it is, is a close second mm-hmm. to me. Um, we can see these things at the beginning of the period because the ice is pretty fresh. It's a fresh mm-hmm. sheet of ice. In the last five minutes of every period, yep. it's like skipping rocks. Like, you're not, you're not going to see that. So... If we are concerned with the quality of play, if we're concerned with the quality of passing, oh man, I'm going to get roasted for this one, but here goes. Instead of three 20-minute periods, how about four 15-minute quarters? So that last five minutes where the ice is chewed is no longer a factor in the game. Well, I mean, if I, if I know one thing about our <laughs> listeners of this show, it's that they love all the basketball references we have. So I think uh, just bringing up the four quarters is music to their ears. Uh, I know, but you know what? I don't think Gary Bettman will ever <laughs> will ever consider because he doesn't want to be, you know, get that, you know, he's the basketball yes. commissioner imposing basketball uh, on the NHL. Mm. But I've thought that one. I've thought that one for a while. Like I look at the last five minutes of every period, and man, it has to turn into the short pass game, and it, it totally takes something. You know, it it it, it takes um, a very specific attack away from a team. Because you just can't chance making passes like that because uh, the puck's going to be skipping all over the place. And in a lot of these arenas where, let's face it, in every NHL town, the practice facility ice is better than the NHL ice. Because all the buildings are multi-purpose and not all the buildings are kept as cold as they probably should be. We've talked, I think a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about the battle between the president and the general manager over the thermometer. And that's one of the biggest battles that any front office has. Yeah. Uh, how cold do you want to make the rink? You know, the president wants to have it nice and you know, comfortable for the season ticket holders who spend a lot of money. And the GM wants to have a good hard sheet of ice and wants it cold. And if people want to go to a hockey game, they should be expected to wear a coat. Um, but maybe there is something with, you know, either you do something with the technology of the surface itself, whether that's, I don't know, coming up with a surface that is not ice, but you can use skates on it, or you just get rid of that last five minute dead time where the ice is all chewed up. Hear me out. 
you change the ice okay. to hardwood and you get rid of the skates <laughs> and you have the guys wear shorts <laughs> right there's a, there's a squeak to yes. the feet yeah okay yeah, i'm with you yeah, right, yeah. and 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 the net is not on fastened to the yeah. ground it's uh it's it's suspended up above maybe i don't know uh, pick a number 10 feet well, it would the finally place. justify some of this size fetish for some of these uh, some of these GMs <laughs> having some of these tall guys that don't really do anything else. It's it's changing. Yeah. That's changing. That's you know it, it's so. I was talking to someone about this a while ago. That if you go 15 years mm-hmm. ago, okay, and you had a six foot five hockey player and a five foot ten hockey player, okay, go 10 years, 10, 10, 15 years ago. And you said, okay, one of these guys should be a goalie and one of these guys should be a defenseman. You'd say 10, 15 years ago, the 5'10 guy should be the goaltender and the 6'5 guy should be the defenseman. Right. That's totally flipped now. There's yep. no room for a 5'10 goaltender. They all have to be 6'5. 6'2 is like the barrier to entry now in the NHL. And more so than ever, there are room, there is room for those small, like Joe Hicketts, you know, Victoria Royals with the Detroit Red Wings. There is room for these types of guys, these types of defensemen on your blue line now more so than ever. Not, it just doesn't have to be, you know, that blue line with like, you know, Hatcher and Terry and like big, huge dudes. There's a lot of for smaller guys. It, it just is interesting the way that our, 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 our vision of what size fits which position has completely changed when it comes to goaltenders and and, uh, and defensemen. Right. Well, and I think for for, defen- for defensemen, we're seeing a lot that listen. Like all things being equal, of course you're going to take the the guy who's who's larger because he'll probably hold up better against injuries and and all the wear and tear that comes with all the crashing along the boards and stuff. But the where you get into trouble is when you start ri- kind of you know giving away all those other skills at this at the expense of of size and 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 we're seeing that in today's NHL like being able to move and skate and and having an active stick is probably the most important skills a defenseman can have like a guy like Jared Spurgeon is one of my favorite defensemen to watch and he's probably also what the the, the smallest defenseman in the league but he, I, I saw him multiple times in the first round just single-handedly break up Jamie Ben rushes just by being in the right place at the right time and and kind of uh using his leverage to to knock the puck off of his stick and and thwarting him that way as opposed to trying to you know fit physically intimidate him or, or 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 crush him along the boards and and i enjoy watching that stuff so it's it's really music to my ears when you say that uh this thought process is going along around the league and hopefully we'll see more of it moving forward what does a defenseman have to do in 2016 right it's a question you ask yourself yeah. you know ret- retrieve pucks and get them back up the ice as fast yeah. and efficiently as possible yep so uh, I know size is all. I mean, wingspan is is one issue. Ca- covering as much surface as you can, you know, strength along the boards. Uh, I get all that, but you know, give me a give me a defense core that can a retrieve and b send it back the other way quick, and that's a that's a recipe for success in yeah. uh, in any era of the NHL. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, how excited are you about the San Jose Sharks being in the Stanley Cup final? Oh, I love it mm. so. Oh, much from a TV point of view too selfishly a lot of great yeah. stories to tell a lot of um, interesting personalities and, and a, a lot of um, what's the best way to describe it a lot of personalities that aren't just necessarily the players as well like the one great thing about the San Jose Sharks that we all love is like hey man it's like the, the thousand year old man Joe Thornton who's still doing and still looking for that elusive Stanley Cup it's Chewbacca on the blue line it's Joe Pavelski you know the Wisconsin Badger who's been one of the best kept secrets in the NHL 
uh, outside of San Jose Sharks and hardcore hockey fans that nobody knows about. And they're really distinct personalities. And I think you see the exact same thing behind the bench, too. And that's one of the things I don't think gets talked about enough is how there is such. Because a lot of times coaches, you know, want people that are sort of similar to them in a lot of way, want to surround themselves with, you know, people that are like them. But you look at someone like Peter DeBoer, who has a presence, can command a room, is generally very serious. He's a, a, a very thoughtful coach, but he has that coach mm. thing. And what's that completely offset by? Steve Spot, who, I know San Jose's always had a good power play, but and there's Steve Spot, he's in charge of the power play, and it's excellent once again. And he's almost, as far as a personality goes, a foil uh, to Peter DeBoer. And Bob Bugner's the same way. Like, he's like the player's coach. He's like not that far removed. I mean, he's not that far removed from coaching in the OHL. Like, you know, and Taylor Hall and all those other Windsor Spitfires we yeah. mentioned off the top of the podcast. So there's a really interesting dynamic that I think makes, makes players relate to their coach a lot better than when you just have three copycat guys standing behind the bench with a furrowed brow yelling at yeah. you when you come back to the bench. Yeah, it does. That makes sense. Do you think, do you think that means? Do you think that means anything to a player? Because I kind, I think that it does. It does. It does. Because especially you? you don't. The season is so long that you really need different personality types to bounce ideas off of, and and just so you're not hearing the same message all the time, right? Like you need. Otherwise, it comes becomes so stale, and you just start drowning it out, and that's when you get into trouble. So it's it's good. There's, and I'm sure there's you know certain players on the team that certain coaches are better with, and then you know like the head coach can kind of divvy up the responsibility, and if, if you need to talk to a certain player and you know one of your assistants is is really tight with him you get him on the job and and you can focus on other stuff and and i definitely agree that that's a big component of the job Mm -hmm. you know who's always um who's always known when the players are tuning him out and they need a new voice is lindy ruff from from what i'm told lindy knows how to to read the room better than he knows when he's getting too annoying to the guys and they need to hear it from another voice. They need someone else to do practice that day because he's starting to grate on them. That's got to be tough too for a coach, right? Like that there's a, we talked about the ego of sort of imposing what, you know, how you want to play on players. There's also an ego in, you know, being able to, or lack of ego rather, being able to say, you know what? I'm not the answer today. Someone else is. That's my well, coaching. The, the, the thing with Lindy Ruff is, and maybe I just wasn't really paying enough attention, but I thought that towards the end of his tenure in, in Buffalo, he sort of struck me as this like curmudgeon, get off my lawn sort of guy. And, and it's, it's amazing seeing him, uh, adapt and, and readjust his style in Dallas because by all accounts he's been just like very he's completely changed his ways in the sense that he's letting guys especially on that team with so much offensive creativity up front he's letting them do their thing and not trying to you know cramp their style too much and tell them to dump the puck in and chase after it rather than you know he's letting them kind of explore and and see what works and whatnot and and i know mj was telling me that i think he was covering the stars during uh like before a hockey night in Canada game that he was doing early in the season on a Saturday. And he was saying that he went to one of their practices in one of their video sessions. And, and rough was basically instead of getting on guys cases when they messed up and telling them not to do that again and what they should do next time. He was, he was rewarding guys for making good creative plays and kind of doing positive reinforcement instead, which I thought was a, a pretty cool thing. And I imagine that in NHL circles, it's a, it's a pretty rare thing amongst coaches. Yep. I mean, uh, players, 
you know, fear the video review yeah. room, right? Like, it's like, oh, good, great. This guy's going to yell at me now for 20 minutes. Great. Um, you know, you really see that because on the one hand, you know, Lindy yeah. Ruff has a luxury of being able to drive a couple of Ferraris every day, right? And he's got you know, Tyler Sagan mm-hmm. and Jamie Benn. And like, that's uh, it's kind of a luxury when, yeah. when you're a coach. Um, but don't you really see that in John Klingberg? In that you don't get the right. sense that John Klingberg's being beaten down for the odd turnover. It's more like, you know what, you may, you may turn the puck over three times a game, but you're going to create ten events that are positive. Yeah. And that puts us up plus seven on the game. We'll take the turnovers. It means you're giving us you know, this many other events the other way at the other end of the ice. Yeah. Well, speaking of positive events, I'd say that this, uh, this podcast you and I just recorded was a, was a pretty positive event. I, it's a highlight of my day. <laughs> After this, I'm going to write some notes for tomorrow and go to bed. Excellent. Because I'm, I'm born to be mild, as my wife always tells me. Mm. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you taking the time. I know your schedule is pretty busy around this tournament, and uh, I, I, I think we covered some pretty good stuff here. There's some interesting stuff, yeah. No, I, I, let, me, let me turn the tables on you. And I swore, mm. I think the last time I was on with you, that I wouldn't try to take over the podcast and play host. <sighs> but I'm, I mean, You say that every time. I know, I'm such a jackass. Okay, I want to ask you something. Yeah. How do you come by junior hockey? Because you've always struck me as someone that's been, I mean, first of all, you're a really thoughtful guy. But two, you've always, you've always struck me as someone that's been very thoughtful and really does enjoy junior hockey. When, my question is, though, when you watch junior hockey, do you watch it the same way that you're watching the NHL or do you watch it a different way? Oh, I, I'd say um, definitely a different way. I, I think a good way to put it is I watch it less critically just because I, I do have the, I think we discussed this when we were previewing the, uh, the world juniors back in December where it's like, I don't want to be that like creepy guy that is, is being way too hard on these teenage kids and, and, you know, taking this stuff too seriously. Like I understand that yeah. there's a lot at stake for some of these guys, especially that are top NHL prospects. And, and it, it, it all this means a lot. I'm not trying to make light of it, but it's just like, it's, it, it really is supposed to be fun. And, that's the way I view it, and that, I, I like it that way because sometimes, you know, covering the NHL is my job, and and I, I it can definitely kind of lose sight of the fact that it is supposed to be fun and, and taking it for what it is, as opposed to you know viewing everything from an X's and O's perspective and taking it way too seriously and breaking every single play down, as opposed to just kind of kicking mm-hmm. back and, and watching the flow of the game and and taking mental notes that way. So I, I like it. It's it's a it's a nice refreshing exercise compared to my uh, daily daily NHL viewing <laughs> well see I because I'm, I'm I'm similar in that I, I, lo- I look at a junior game two ways one you just look at it as a game and the entertainment value contained in a game uh, which when you consider you know there's like what 30 big turnovers a game where in the NHL is about five um, which leads to inevitably more excitement and lead changes and you know uh, interesting games that's a lot of fun and two like you I never lose sight of the fact that leagues like the Western Hockey League, the OHL, and the QMJHL are still development leagues. That's one thing to look at that end product at the end of 60 minutes and go, oh, well, that was an interesting game and all that. And I think you also look at it and you say, you know, you say, well, wow, this, you know, this defenseman, you know, so I started watching him in October and here we are in May and all of a sudden he looks like a different guy. Like it's interesting to see the learning curve that a lot of guys go through and, and why they go through them. And, right. Oh, this guy's on a growth spurt right now. And he's, you know, he's, he's, he's fighting his own body and that's why his performance has changed. So, I mean, I remember Tyler Myers, you know, yeah. I remember talking to scouts about Tyler Myers in Kelowna 
and I asked him what he thought of the defenseman, and they said, well, it's, it's, it's so remarkable. Yeah. I'll go and watch him sometimes, and he'll be dominant, and he'll be, you know, he'll be able to impose his will on a game. And other times, it's like the first time he's ever held a hockey stick. And it's just because he's going through a growth spurt in his draft year, which has got to be such a frustrating thing. You look at a player like Logan Stanley, okay? He's a defenseman of the Windsor Spitfires. He's six foot, I think, seven. Right, I mean, he's like grown all, and sometimes I watch his Spitfires, and man, is he out to lunch. And other times, I'm like, oh my god, it's Mini Chara. This is this is a freak. Like, so I always try to never lose sight that you know this is a time in these young athletes' lives where things are changing for them mentally, and things are changing for them physically as well. Which is why it's you know such a freak to see someone have you know as close to a perfect season from bell to bell when there's all these different changes happening within your own body from you know, from training camp in September until the uh, the end of it all in May. Yeah, but the interesting thing sort of spinning off on that is is we can lose sight of that in the sense that there is that period and some guys it's it's a lot faster for them and they yep. you know they 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 hold their own instantly but then there's other guys that it takes them a bit longer and maybe they'll fall in drafts or they won't be thought of as highly but then a few years later once they finally put it all together all of a sudden we're like oh we didn't see this coming at all and we probably should have if we just kind of undertaken it for what it was worth and uh and given them the time that they deserve to fully grow into their frames both mentally and physically yeah right the brand the brand gallagher fifth round phenomenon how did he slip to the fifth round you know like there's there's just they're just going to be those guys you're right because it would be lovely for us to say yeah everyone's going to you know peak physically and peak emotionally in their draft year but the reality is there's no chance that that, that that's going to happen not a prayer which is why i always like i know it's fun to go back and, and redo drafts but it really is unfair to yeah. the to the to the players themselves and to the scouts that that, that scout these kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm 24 years old, and I think I'm still growing both mentally and physically. So, well, <laughs> I'm almost double that, and I'm probably half the maturity that you have. So I'll catch up eventually, <laughs> Dimitri. Uh, Jeff, man, uh, where can people find you on Twitter? And and when are you? When are the? When's the broadcast starting on Friday? Uh, Friday, it is a six o'clock Mountain, so that's uh, eight Eastern. Uh, yep. Start. It is the host Red Deer Rebels facing off against the Rouen Naranda Huskies, the top team in the CHL uh, by season's end. Uh, really good, you know, offensive team. They probably have the best defensive core of anyone in the CHL. Uh, Philip Myers and Jeremy Lozon and Nicholas Briard. Uh, the overage defenseman. It really is spectacular. Uh, and the winner of that game gets the right to do what on Sunday, Dimitri? Try and keep it within five goals against the London Knights. <laughs> just try not yeah. to embarrass yourselves out there, yeah. boys. Go get them. Yeah. No, it'll be fun. It, uh, I mean, even if the game gets out of hand, just watching the pure skill from the from the London Knights will probably be uh, a selling point enough just by itself. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of guys from that 2005 London Knights team there as well. I was talking at, at dinner. I think there's some talk, you know, like the Corey Perrys of the world maybe maybe popping by for the game. So that'll, mm, that'll be exciting cool. to see some. Because the similarities between that team and the team that you have now are pretty staggering. And we always thought that that, you know, because we focus on that, that winning streak that London was on, or sorry, undefeated streak. But, you know, you could make the argument that this year's edition of the London Knights maybe the best edition of the London Knights we've ever seen. They're that good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Um, all right, man. We'll, uh, we'll get you back on yeah, the PDO cast in, in no Love time. Love it. Thanks for having me on, Dimitri, as always. The Hockey PDO cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. Mm-hmm.